Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, and my co-host Caleb Jenks is with us. And tonight is the very first podcast of the year 2021, which is really exciting. So we're jumping off this year and starting out with a topic that has been on everyone's mind, and everyone's been hounding us to go over this and wondering what the answers are. So we said, you know what, we're just going to talk about it circumcision. Let's get into it. So tonight we are going to talk about what the Bible has to say about circumcision. So this should be a good one. I was talked out of bringing artwork into uh, tonight's discussion, which is fine. I think uh, those of you watching the live video are going to suffer. And if you're just watching us, or I shouldn't say watching, if you're just listening to us on Spotify or Google Play or iHeartRadio, we would ask that you would join us live every Friday night, 8 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, No, that's incorrect. 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Central. And uh, watch the video uh, with us live on Facebook. You can comment. You can ask questions. You can make fun of us. We have lots of folks that do all of those things. And you can search for us on Facebook. I think it's at Bible Thumper 1611, and you can find us there. So <clears throat> we are talking about circumcision. So, Caleb, where do you want to start? What do you want to do? How do you want to? How do you want to tackle it? Well, Happy Go New ahead. Year! Happy New Year! Oh, it's a a new year, and so we're gonna. We're going to jump into more controversial, less boring topics. Um, so you're not going to be hearing about peace, love, and joy this year. Nope. We're starting off with circumcision. Yep. Nothing to do with acceptance. We're not going to tell you Jesus loves you one single time. We're done with that nonsense. Wow. Oh, boy. And we tried yeah, so- at finishing up the last year with teaching you how to get out of debt and make money, but not many of you tuned in to watch that one live. Hopefully someone ended up watching that video. There is a wealth of information on there. So we're, we're shifting gears. Yeah. So, um, I thought this would be an interesting topic to discuss. Patrick and I got on it. Oh, I don't know. A few months ago, we briefly touched on it in a phone conversation and, Mm -hmm. um, I thought, well, Hey, this is, why don't we discuss it rather than having the discussion over the phone? Mm -hmm. Um, as parents, this is a topic that Patrick encountered firsthand before I did because I've got three girls mm-hmm. and a boy on the way. And so this is so far never really been an issue that we had to tackle as parents until until now. It's it's come, going to come up, obviously. So um, I just thought, hey, this is something that's somewhat controversial nowadays. It used to be pretty mainstream in America. It was common practice medically. That was just what what we did here in pretty much most Western uh, civilization and in um, the Middle East as well. So why is it, uh, why is it a good thing to do or why is it necessary? Why did God want us to do it? And is it something that we should still do now as Christians? So obviously it's an interesting discussion to have. So what's your, what's your, um, have you, well, what has your, how should I put this? What has your experience been? Have you ever had a discussion with somebody that was that argued against this with you in real life? Uh, no, the, nobody uh, talks is, about it. Well, no. I mean, 
it's in the Bible, Caleb. Of course, no right. one talks about it. You know, I can tell you this. You want to know how many times I've heard a pastor preach on the topic of circumcision in my life? As And, and, and folks, understand, okay, there are two types of circumcision that we're going to talk about tonight, and there are two types of circumcision that appear in the Bible. And one has to do with your heart, which we find in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The other one has to do with your son's penis. And that one's also found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But guess what? One of them just never makes it into the Sunday morning sermons. So we're left, uh, you know, to talk about it here on Bible Thumper. Thank you, pastors in America. Okay, we'll just do your job because you only want to talk about one of them. And I get it. Okay, so here we are. So no, Caleb, I've never had the conversation really about, you know, circumcision other than with my wife. For me, it was now, for those of you that might be new to our podcast, I have five boys, okay? My oldest is 13, my youngest is five, and I have one little girl. Caleb, on the other hand, him and his wife are expecting their first boy. So they are just entering into the mayhem that we call raising sons, whereas my wife and I have been doing it for over a dozen years. So for us, we, it honestly, I mean, my wife and I discussed it for like five seconds. Uh, We never even, you know, thought about doing anything else. Uh, We just said, we're going to circumcise the kid, right? You know, and, uh, and on our, for our first kid, which was a boy, my wife wanted to know the gender up front. So we, you know, went into the doctor for a checkup and they said, Hey, do you want to know the gender? And we said, yes, we do. So they told us it was a boy. This was so long ago that you didn't even have a stupid party for telling everyone what gender your child wait, was. This wait, was- you think, you think those parties are stupid? <laughs> you think gender reveal parties are overrated? Yeah. Well, nowadays, did you notice that they all of a sudden stopped? All of a sudden, they're not they're not the hit that they once were because now you're not allowed to assign a gender to your uh, baby right. just because of their genitalia. You're not allowed to do that. So, <clears throat> yeah, now we now we hold off the gender reveal party till the child's about 12 years old or at least Make eight seven. Years old. Yeah, yeah, seven or eight. They don't really. Grade, and now they can decide what they are and we can start giving them, you know, hormone treatments because that is the same course. That's of the action. real gender. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, this was back when you didn't even have a baker make a pink or a blue cake or do anything like this. And no. Uh, I've never been to a gender reveal party. And yes, I think they're ridiculous and stupid. It's just another reason for people to get together. Why not just have a party? Whatever happened to just buying some hamburgers and hot dogs, you know, and getting the horseshoes out and saying, we're having a party this weekend. Everyone come on over to our place. You know, now we have to make up. Uh, you know, uh, some, some ideas. Okay. I think all the the dads kept skipping out on the, uh, on the uh, baby showers. And so they were like, we got to do something that that forced the dads have to come to the gender reveal because you got to root for the boys or whatever. So, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the psychology behind it. They couldn't talk us in. They, they tried, but they couldn't talk us into going to the baby shower. So they had to To come up with a new party. Yeah. Okay. So, Anyway, long story short, we knew it was a boy from the get-go. So 
we knew we were going to have the boy circumcised and we talked to our doctor and uh, set up plans to do that. And we even set it up to make sure that it would be done on the eighth day. And that was important to us. And we'll get to why that was. It's not just that we circumcised our sons, but we did it on a certain day. Um, and that's obviously not a day of the week. There's only seven days in the week. It's the eighth day of life. So for those of you that are wondering the way the Jewish calendar works and the Jewish day works, the Jewish day starts at sundown <clears throat> and continues to the following sundown. And when you're counting uh, the days to circumcise your son, if you want to obey Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, then you would count to the eighth day of life. So even if they're born, you know, right this time of year, about 4 p.m. and there's an hour left of sundown, well, that counts as a day because that's the first day of life. So you'd count eight days and on the, on the eighth day, that is when you're going to circumcise your son. And we'll get to the Bible verses for that. So <clears throat> we planned on doing that the whole time. We did that for the first three kids without incident. And then for the fourth kid, we actually had a problem because we couldn't get any doctor to uh, do that for us. Uh, because uh, the doctors that we've used in the past were, I don't know, they were out of town or whatever, and they wouldn't commit to anything. And, and all the doctors really uh, didn't care, you know, what your religious preference was. Uh, they were like, well, we can fit you in the schedule on this day. And we're like, no, 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 you see, it actually matters. Like we have to do it on a certain day. So <clears throat> we got to our fourth son and I ended up circumcising him so that we could do it on the eighth day. And then for our fifth son, it was no problem. We actually found a Jewish doctor and he was happy to uh, comply um, to <clears throat> make it easy for us. So, yeah, so we circumcised all of our all of our sons. It was never even an issue. And, and for my wife and I, my wife and I have read the Bible. We've both read the Bible many, many times. And it talks about circumcising your sons. You know, Abraham did it. Uh, they did it during the time of Moses. They did it during the time of uh, uh, Joshua going into the promised land. You know, it, it talks about it through the whole Old Testament. It talks about it in the New Testament. It was not anything strange. It was not a weird idea for us. It was like, nope, uh, the Bible says to do it. So we're going to do it. And that was the end of it. You know, and now apparently there are movements against it. Did you know that, Caleb? Did you know that there yeah, are there. movements against it? <laughs> so it, I was wondering if you spent, you said all of four seconds talking about it with your wife? About that. Yeah. So my you wife, I think my wife asked me about it or I asked my wife about so it. If I'm not mistaken, like, you made your yeah. decision based off of doing what the Bible says. You didn't weigh all the pros and cons nope. as far as which Nothing. was going to be, which didn't was going to make it happier. Didn't ask one doctor, not one. <laughs> well, you didn't. Okay. Did didn't ask. I wouldn't worry about to find worry out about the doctors. Didn't do any I research. I wouldn't worry about the doctors. I would go with all of the um, sex advice experts on social media and stuff that are going to uh -huh. tell you how much fun you're going to ruin with your with your son by um, doing this. If you don't, it, I mean, that's that's what I would think. I I, I don't know. That's so yeah. old school of you to actually read the Bible and go with what the Bible even says. Occur to us to look into it. Okay. We just, uh, we knew what the Bible said and we said, Hey, you know what? I'm going to bet that in this case, 
God also knows what's best. So we're going to do it. And that was the end of it. There was no discussion. We didn't have to weigh out anything. We didn't have to do any research. We just read the Bible and obeyed it. And that was the end of it. And here we are. And, uh, and there are some folks that, uh, that think that what we did was horrible. Can I show you a picture of these folks, Caleb? I found a picture of them. Did you? Oh yeah. Okay. Here is a picture of these folks. Okay. What do you think of these guys? Um, here, let me see if I can zoom in here. Here, watch this. Let's see. There we go. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's, that's that's the kind of people that I would take my advice from. Yeah. So go, you know, on, on your typical work day, just go downtown somewhere and find these guys hanging out. (laughs) Okay. Holding up some signs and ask them their opinion. Okay, there you go. That's the crowd that you can be a part of. And while while you're asking them their opinion on that, you, I would take some more biblical advice from them, like about marriage and. Oh yeah, find out know, if other... any of those guys are open for babysitting. Okay, are they available? <laughs> what their rate is? They, they they care about the kids. Oh my. So, so yeah, there are. Um, you know, and of course, to make my point, I picked the craziest looking group I could possibly find because yeah. <laughs> that's what we do. That's tr- that's real journalism, Caleb. That's how we do it. <laughs> I hear the CNN is hiring. You should try out. Oh, my soul. So anyway, <clears throat> yeah, we never looked into it. Do you want to get into the Bible about it or do you had did you have any other questions for me? Your first one was a good one. Well, so before this became controversial, yeah, a controversial issue at all, which it is a bit controversial in the New Testament, which to me um, was still a very, there was no controversy over, uh, over circumcision. It was, it was something different that was being discussed here. Uh-huh. And circumcision just happened to be the topic that they were on. And so before we get to that, what is, uh, I, I would say it would be wise to go back to the beginning. You said you had some Old Testament verses so where did it yeah, start you want to start in the beginning okay so uh, that's, go with I mean, me I, to the book of, yeah let go to genesis and i'm going to put this up on the screen if i can da, 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 add title okay uh, go to genesis chapter 17 and we're going to go to verse 10 and i'm going to read this and we'll move in from here it's actually 10 through 14 so i know i'm going to lose half of the audience because I'm going to read more than one, half a verse of the Bible. This is more than you're used to on Sunday mornings. I understand that. Genesis 17, 10 through 14. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. So a couple things that are interesting there. Number one, um, we, this is prior to the law of Moses, obviously, this is God speaking to Abraham, the patriarch and God 
explains it just like he does later on in the book of Moses. We find out it's supposed to be done on the eighth day. That's reiterated many, many times. There is actually a reason for that. And we can get into that in a little bit. But you'll also notice that it is an everlasting covenant. And this is interesting because, you know, when we talk about <clears throat> when we talk about salvation, um, salvation is between you and God. And it's something that is forever. Salvation is not something that, you know, wears out or, or, or goes away, so to speak. It's one of those things where it's like, no, you're making an agreement. And here it's one that you, you literally cannot undo. Okay. You can't get uncircumcised. Okay. That doesn't happen. So this is something where <clears throat> you, you, you make an agreement with God and you're showing uh, essentially, you know, this sounds ridiculous, but you're showing the world. Okay, who you are, that you're one of God's people. And that's what he was telling uh, God to do here. Uh, and the uncircumcised man child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And then we find out in verse uh, verses 23 through 27 <clears throat> that um, in this case, this is where it happens. And Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all that were born in his house and all that were with. It goes through the whole list again. It talks about how they were all um, circumcised. And it talks about how Abraham was 90 years old. Actually, I'm sorry. He wasn't 90 years old. He was 99 when he was circumcised. And Ishmael was 13 when he was circumcised. Now, obviously, from this point on, we read about how they circumcise the males on the eighth day of life. After they're born, uh, they get circumcised. But in this case, they were circumcising adults. And we see this several other times in the Bible. But this is where it started. And then later on in, in 21 verse 4, okay, what we find is, uh, I think I'm, yeah, yeah, in Genesis 21, 4, we find that Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. So when, when God gets his son that he was promised him, Isaac, he circumcises him on the eighth day, as we were told. And what's interesting is this is about 700 years prior to the law of Moses. And when you read the law of Moses, there are a lot of rules, Caleb. There's lots of them. I mean, lots and right. lots and lots. But for some reason, this one was actually brought up way before the Ten Commandments. This one was brought up way before all the other rules that we read about in the, the middle of Exodus, you know, all the way through Leviticus, through Numbers and through Deuteronomy. This is one that was brought up ahead of time. And then if you go on to Leviticus and turn to Leviticus chapter 12, Leviticus, okay, 12 verse 3, uh, here is where we read about it in uh, the law of Moses. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. So this is where Moses reiterates it. This is 700 years later. We read about it again. Okay, so that's where, that's where it all starts. And... If you want, I have a bunch more to go on, but I didn't want to monopolize the conversation. So, so there was no argument. There was no. There was no question. God said it. They did. Mm -hmm. it. This is how. This is just how it is. There was yeah. no. There's no reasoning with God and and trying to figure out. Well, is you know what if we can make a bargain here and if I just circumcise my kids and have them do it with their sons, but my 
you know, my great grandkids, maybe we can phase it out by then. It was it was pretty much an established covenant and there was no 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 disputing it. Right. Now, I mean, there's there was never a dispute. And and furthermore, you know what's interesting? Do you know what the best medical knowledge of the day was teaching? Have you ever looked into the medicine <laughs> of the Egyptians when Moses was in Egypt as second in command over the most powerful country in the world? It is baffling what they believed was going to help you get over different ailments. I mean, it sound and and I did not, this just came to my head. I did not think to to bring I've I've read, I have a couple articles I've gone over where it was explained, you know, what the Egyptian medicine man would have. And I mean it was ridiculous. It, it sounded like something you would expect a witch to throw in a cauldron, you know, in order to produce some type of tincture. There was there was nothing involved in the, the greatest minds of medicine during the time of the Egyptians uh, that was that was correct. I mean, they were I don't even want to get into it because because of, of how disgusting so much of it was. But the point is, again, even Moses, they didn't ask like, well, God, we have decided, you know, we were taught growing up that this is really what we're supposed to do. That wasn't part of it. They did it. God said it. They did it. And that was it. And it was it was supposed to uh, represent the agreement that you had between you and God that you were going to live your life for and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was the whole idea. So, yeah. So it was obviously a. Uh, it was. I would say it was a practical thing, as were many things that God commanded mm -hmm. at the time. Um, but even if it wasn't a practical thing, even if they weren't having health issues that um, obviously circumcision would have made a even a bigger, bigger difference then than it would now with our sanitary conditions. That we live. We're not in a third world country. We mm -hmm. have. And they were uh, in Egypt. Let me tell you. Right. <laughs> so obviously, obviously there was a practical side to it, but God didn't bring up the practical side. He just mm -hmm. said, do it. Yep. Don't ask questions, just do it. So the reason for doing it was to obey God. It was never, it was never for sanitary purposes. It was never for the best personal hygiene. It was to, to mark yourself as one of God's children dedicated to him, set aside for him um, and walking in obedience to him. And it marked you from somebody that was not an Israelite. I mean, unless, unless you became an Israelite, mm -hmm. unless you, well, unless you moved in and you became circumcised. Correct. And if, if you think about it, um, it actually ended up being sanitary. And we learn about that much later. And many things in the Old Testament, God commanded the Israelites to do. And we find out that there was um, uh, sanitary reasons for it. But we only find that out much, much later. In, right. in the Bible, uh, God commanded his people to wash their hands with running water. Um, you know, all the way back in the days of Moses, um, in, in, in the days of Moses, uh, it explains, uh, when you leave the camp, what direction you're supposed to go in order to relieve yourself and that everyone is supposed to do it in the same area and you don't do it near the river. Okay. Right. That, well, and you got to remember, Caleb, that's not, you know, what everyone believed. There are plenty of cultures, you know, all the way up until. I mean, 
there are still now. cultures. Yeah, that are still dumping their sewer in the that, river. You got it. Sewage goes right into the river and goes downstream, and then someone. I mean, it. And they it, can't figure out why they're sick. Yeah, they can't figure out why. Yeah, why they're all dying. Okay. <clears throat> But, you know, so God tells us things and we did not understand the science at the time. God explained that the earth was round. Okay. A long time ago, God explained, you know, how the, the paths of the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, and the planets worked. God, God explained all kinds of stuff in the old Testament. And we did not learn about it until thousands of years later. And if we had just obeyed the word of God, we would have all been much, much better off. Okay. When we find out about how the, the infant mortality rates in America and in England for so long, it was because doctors would be examining a cadaver and then they would go immediately into the next room and they'd deliver a child. Well, they never washed their hands. They didn't know. They didn't know. Okay. And, and finally, you know, we learn about this and we find, learn about microorganisms. And then all of a sudden we realize, oh, wow, look at this. We can save a whole bunch of lives. And if we had just been doing what God had ordered us to do from the very beginning, we would have been better off. And that, that is the same way with circumcision. With that being said, uh, nobody knew about it at the time. That was a mark that set you apart. Okay, now I am going to tell you this um, as a matter of history. And since it was only like, I don't know, three, four weeks ago, we went over the story of Hanukkah and we talked about Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a Syrian king who uh, was over uh, Israel and Jerusalem at the time. And he actually passed a law stating that anyone that circumcised their children uh, was going to die. It was a capital crime. That was around 150, 170 BC, um, you know, um, just a little under 200 years prior to Christ being born. And at that time, <clears throat> it was a capital crime. They would kill the mother. They would kill the child uh, if they found anyone uh, that was circumcised. And there were other Roman emperors later on after the time of Christ that did the same thing. They made it a capital crime to circumcise and they would go so far as to have people that would go through the streets and they would grab men and inspect them. And if they were circumcised, uh, they were going to die. You know, so and and there were many, many Jews at the time that said, nope, we don't care. This is what God said. We're going to do the word of God. Right. And that's the end of it. And it when you read about the, the account and you read about the history there were thousands and thousands of Jews that said, we don't care. We are doing what God says, come what may, you know, and, and many of them were killed for it, you know, and, and that's what you found during the time of, of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the book of Daniel. That's what we find out, you know, in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you find men and women of God that, you know, refuse uh, to do what their captors, you know, wanted them to do. And, and a lot of them were killed for it, you know, and nowadays, again, uh, where's the, where's the attack coming from? Uh, who, who's thinking this up? You know, it's the greatest minds of the time that we find inside the Christian churches saying, nope, you shouldn't be doing this. This is a terrible thing. And you're, you know, you're robbing. I'm uh, surprised nobody's so far commented on here saying that, uh, don't you guys realize this is Old Testament? Yeah. <laughs> I was oh, expecting yeah. that right off, right out of the shoot. Yeah, we I know. Uh, it is Old hey, Testament. Y'all, if you're on here watching, you, and, yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can, you guys can comment on here. I yeah. promise we won't make too much fun of your comments. Yeah, believe me, we, we have some tact on this. This podcast we wait until it's over to make fun of everybody okay that writes a stupid so, comment on here so we welcome you know your comments and questions 
so where did the controversy start? I mean, obviously, it's like you mentioned, it's not been without its controversy throughout the Old and the New Testament. Um, the first, the first place that I see uh, circumcision being used in a controversial setting was Genesis thirty-four. And this is a story. <laughs> it was a military tactic. Yeah. This is a story of some guys that decided to go out on a limb and use God's law and use it in a way that God didn't mean for it to be used to try to mm-hmm. uh, exact revenge on somebody that had defiled their sister. So uh, if, we, if we go to Genesis 34, we find that one of uh, Jacob and Leah's daughters, her name was Dinah, and she apparently had friends that were not Jew or not the children of Israel. Um, well, not the house of Jacob, I guess at the yeah, time. Yeah, it would yeah. be. No, 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 I get it. There, there weren't many options. So, yeah. so she ends up so with she, some bad guys. They end up taking advantage of her. And then Reuben and Levi decide to have a chat. So go ahead. Go so ahead. she had late. Yeah. She apparently had other girls that she was friends with in the community that were mm-hmm. Hivites and their brothers decided to, these girl's brothers decided to uh take advantage of her okay here we um okay somebody said what part i'm not sure what part daniel uh leave another comment let us know what your yeah daniel give us a more specific question oh and i should tell everyone just remember your questions and your comments they might lag by like two minutes so don't leave a comment thinking that we see it immediately. Sometimes it's several yeah, we, minutes later. So you got to ask a very specific the, question. Yeah, go we ahead. We may not know the context. Yep. So anyways, so her brothers decide that they are going to teach these guys a lesson. Mm-hmm. And they plot a plan and go out and and give this story and they buy into it. So their story is, hey, if you guys will be circumcised, um, then we would let our daughters marry your 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 sons we wouldn't do business with you guys you would be just like us we'd be equal but if you're uncircumcised we can't allow you to marry our daughters and so they convince this man which says he was more honorable than his father and he loved the girl so he decided to agree to it so he agrees to be circumcised the whole family agrees to be circumcised and then they go back to the gates of their city and they counsel with people going in and out of their city and say hey we could be just like the the house of jacob and do business with them and apparently this was a pretty powerful powerful family if you think about it for a whole city to be like hey we're gonna go get circumcised so that we can do business with jacob's house oh yeah that's pretty remarkable and they mention in that story, the reason they were doing it is because they wanted to marry their daughters and have their daughters marry their sons because of the wealth of Jacob that they wanted to have brought right. into the town so they could, you know, get their piece of the pie. Please continue. So, yeah. So the story goes, they all get circumcised on the third day while they're in a ton of pain. They, uh, the Dinah's brothers go and murder all of them, mm-hmm. uh, the whole city. And they hauled off Dinah, got their sister back. And um, let's see, it came to pass on the third day that, that the, when they were sore, this is uh, verse chapter 34, verse 25. And it came to pass on the third day when they were sore that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. And they slew Hamer and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house. And went out and the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep and their oxen and their asses and that which was in the city and that which was in the field and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives 
they took captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me to make me to stink upon, uh, among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites, <laughs> the Perizzites, and I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with a harlot? <laughs> so these guys were, um, well, I, I guess I can't use the word I was about to use because we're on the, on the podcast. These guys were mad. <laughs> These boys were like, no, 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 no. This is not going to happen to our sister. And they went mm-hmm. and they got revenge. And I bet that I bet that it did uh, um, <laughs> trouble their father. I would be like, boys, what did you do? Oh, yeah. They, they wiped out an entire city. And Jacob's like, great. Now we got to move. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> so let's uh, we've been going here for half an hour. Let's get into the second idea of circumcision. And that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. Okay, so Caleb, you have you heard the argument that, well, uh, circumcision in the New Testament is all about circumcision of the heart, and therefore we don't have to do, you know, the circumcision of the foreskin like it talks about oh, in yeah. the Old Testament, right? Okay, well, that's talked about by a bunch of folks that have never read their Bible. Circumcision of the heart is not a New Testament idea. It's an Old Testament idea that we hear about again in the New Testament just like circumcising of the foreskin physically starts in the Old Testament. We read about it also in the New Testament. Before you get onto the story, just a quick second here. So um, somebody here has commented and said that he was circumcised at seven years old. Mm-hmm. And um, he said that it was a medical reason and he had to, and that it was the worst week of his life. So my question to you, Daniel, I was circumcised at eight, eight days old and I don't remember it at all mm-hmm. it was the best week of my life as far as i know <laughs> <laughs> so so my question to you is would you have rather your parents do it when you were eight eight days old or wait until you were seven years old and had to do it then which would have been better for you i think i know the answer but um for those that are are considering this for their children there's a reason yeah. for it to be done on the eighth day you have yeah. the highest pain tolerance that you and this, they didn't know this back then god knew it mm-hmm. but they didn't but now they figured it out. Anyway, go ahead. So uh, this is what you're reading oh, here. Yeah. So circumcision of the heart. So we find this in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, verse 16. Uh, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff necked. And this is the first time that we read about this. And we read about it many other times. And we'll go over a few more of these where God is now comparing circumcision to its intent. Okay, so circumcision, we find out, is a picture of what is to come. Now, the whole idea behind circumcision, and for those folks that are totally against it, they're going to argue this point, and I don't care if they do. The whole idea is that you cut off something that is useless. Not only useless, but bad for you. Okay, it's something that there is no need for, and it is something that actually gets in the way and causes you problems. And we read about this, and, and Caleb will bring the verses up in a little bit. I believe it's in Romans, but we're not gonna we're not gonna get there. Uh, okay, here, Caleb. There we go. When you're uh, gonna adjust your mic for like three straight minutes and make all kinds of horrible noises, you can just go ahead and push that little button with the microphone picture on it it says 
mute is it mute 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 it says mute that's what you can push and then when you're done you can come back in <clears throat> okay yeah no that's okay it, it makes for great audio okay so i'm gonna bring caleb back in here now that no one else has to listen to that i apologize for my co-host's terrible unprofessionalism okay so <clears throat> The whole idea behind circumcision is that you're getting rid of something that is useless and not only useless, something that gets in the way that is a problem if you keep it. And, and as I said, Caleb's going to find us the verses, which I think are in Romans, but he's going to get us the verses in the New Testament here in a second. And <clears throat> what, we, what we talk about is circumcision of the heart. So <clears throat> you have to understand that when uh, a, a, an infant is circumcised, they are getting rid of their foreskin. That is something that is not needed. If you keep it, you find out that there can be a lot of problems later, and you find out that it is something that needs to be dealt with and cleaned, and parents have to teach their sons who are not circumcised how to clean themselves properly so you don't have debris and bacteria build up and have infection happen uh, when it's not taken care of, where it was, it's not a problem if you're just circumcised. Well, the Bible talks about circumcising your heart. And when we get saved, you have to understand it's representative of our flesh, our sin nature, the idea that we cut it off and we discard it. We don't keep it. We don't carry it around with us as a Christian for the rest of our life. No man gets circumcised, okay, and like your baby teeth, you save the foreskin, you put it in a little jar, and you keep it, you know, as a keepsake. No, that doesn't happen, okay? I'm going to clip that little part out right there and use that for our promo video. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you throw it out. It is dead. It is worthless. It is a hindrance. You don't hold on to it. And the Bible talks about this just as comedically as I'm talking about it now uh, uh, in the book of Romans. So that was the idea is that you are supposed to get rid of that sinful, wicked part of you that it is worthless. It has no benefit. It can only get in the way. You're supposed to cut it off. You're supposed to discard it. That is the circumcision of the heart. Now, in Deuteronomy 10 16, this is where we read about it for the first time. And God says, don't be stiff necked. Don't be stubborn. Don't fight against my laws anymore. And right now um, <clears throat> we're leading up to Deuteronomy 30 verse six, which I'm going to read here. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul and with all um, that thou mayest live. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, you got to understand four chapters later, Moses is going to die. And then you want to know what happens? Okay, then Joshua takes over and Joshua crosses over uh, the Jordan River into Canaan land and uh, takes the promised land that was promised to the Israelites by God. So that's what Joshua is about to do. We're only four chapters ahead of that in the story. And God is talking about circumcising your heart. Okay, so then even though God just got through explaining to Moses about the circumcision of the heart and the idea behind it, guess what Joshua does right before they go into the promised land? In Joshua chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, we read, At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make thee sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins, 
I love that. That's the name of a, that's a, that's a geographical region now. Okay. <clears throat> and this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males. Even all the men of war died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that um, were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, they had not circumcised. So Joshua was commanded by God, okay, to get some sharp knives. You got to take care of this thing. You need to do it before you go into the promised land. Now, you ready for this, Caleb? Here, we find out that it mentions that this is, you are going to circumcise Israel the second time. Do you know what the first time is? Mm -mm. Okay. <clears throat> so go with me to the book of Exodus. Okay. And um, let's see. In Exodus chapter four, we find out that Moses's wife did not want her son circumcised. You remember that story? Okay, Exodus chapter uh, chapter four. And it came to pass, uh, then, uh, I don't know how far I want to go. Um, okay, in verse 25, then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet, talking about Moses, and said, surely a bloody husband art thou to me. Okay, so he let him go. Then she said, a bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. Okay, when you read through this chapter, you find out that Moses' wife, Zipporah, did not want to circumcise her sons, even though the Lord said that is what he wanted done. And a lot of people believe that this was actually the fight that caused them to separate and caused her to go back home again. Because guess what? You don't read about Zipporah all the way through the rest of Moses's life. Okay, you find you find out that she shows up one more time a little later on, then that's the end of it. She never shows up again. So Zipporah actually did not like this. Now, what nation what nationality was uh, Zipporah, the uh, the wife of uh, Moses? Wasn't she Ethiopian? Yep. <clears throat> okay, so she was not um, an Israelite. Okay, she was of a from a uh, a pagan land, and she did not agree with what God was talking about as far as circumcising his son. I don't know how okay. many times I've read over that, and that never jumped out at me. Yep. That, that definitely sounded like it wasn't a real pleasant evening between the two of them. Sounds like Oh, no. I mean, they, they were, yeah, they were fighting. And forgive me, I didn't have anything, you know, prepared on that. That was just another thing that kind of came to mind as we were talking about it. But you can see um, that even though God just explained circumcision of the heart, God said, yep, but, 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 but before you go into the promised land, get you some knives and circumcise everybody, you know, and that was the commandment of God. So you can see that even after the circumcision of the heart was introduced to the land of Israel, God was still circumcising people physically because there was something there. Okay. What do you I, think of that? I did. You, got, you brought up about Joshua circumcising them before they crossed over. Mm -hmm. into the promised land and i thought before that this is interesting because there was all the other naysayers the other spies they mm -hmm. came back from the promised land and they're like well there's giants in the land they're bringing back all the bad news 
if somebody, if Joshua would have stood up and said, oh, by the way, before we cross in, all of you guys are going to line up and we're going to get circumcised, <laughs> that probably would have sounded worse than a lot of the other bad news that they had. I, I, anyways, so um, the circumcision of the heart thing, uh, while we're still on that, if you want, I'll read yeah. the passage in Romans. No, please which do. Which is an argument that people make against circumcision, and hopefully we can cover this issue as far as what what the... the um, what the discussion was here in the New Testament. Well, give me the verse so, so I can put it on the screen. It did not come up in the New Testament as the first time it was already referenced in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. um, the reference, is that what you asked? Yeah. Uh, let's go, let's see, maybe we'll start at verse, it's Romans chapter 2, and we'll start with verse um, 20, 22, I guess. I'm not, I'll start with verse 22 and read on to the end. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, through you as it is written. For circumcision verily profiteth, if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made un uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for, for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision dost transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So, would you say that this is talking about salvation or circumcision? Uh, sorry, you uh, you caught me. I was looking up some other verses, and I... Uh, so clearly I, this here is talking about circumcision, circumcision. About salvation, yeah. not circumcision. And my screen froze. I'm not sure if you're still there. Oh yeah, you're still here. You're yeah, okay. you're just fine. So it's 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 making these um, references of uncircumcision versus circ circumcision, and its uh, its point here is more as far as circumcision of the heart is talking about salvation, and the point is being is that's being made here isn't an argument against circumcision, mm -hmm. but it's an argument for having one's heart made pure by God and, and circumcised. So the circumcision of the heart. <laughs> Um, was the point that was being argued. I don't believe this was an argument against circumcision here. There is other places in the New Testament that do argue against circumcision, but people that use this this passage here to say, well, in the New Testament, it's circumcision of the heart, um, and use that as an argument against circumcision have clearly not read this chapter um, in its context. Yeah, when we, <clears throat> when we read through the New Testament, um, especially Acts and the Book of Romans, what you find is that there were certain Jews who were saved, Peter even being one of them, who for a while got on kind of the bandwagon where he's like, nope, everyone has to become Jewish first and then you can become a Christian. And, you know, Paul nipped that in the bud and said, no, 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 that's not how it works. You know, and that leads us to a portion in the book of Acts where, that we typically call the Jerusalem Council. And they went over the idea and they said, no, uh, nobody has to become, you know, a Jew first in order to get saved. That's not how it's going to work. Um, salvation is for anybody. 
uh, it has nothing to do <clears throat> with uh, what you do. And, and Peter was trying to get everyone to, you know, be circumcised and eat only uh, uh, clean uh, foods. And he was, you know, going through the whole rigmarole. And, and that's what uh, Caleb is talking about there is that <clears throat> this portion of scripture is combating the idea of circumcision being a part of or being necessary for salvation. He's saying, no, it's not. It has nothing to do with, with you outwardly. It's inward. It's what happens in the heart. That's where salvation takes place. It's the same idea with baptism. Bap baptism is never going to save you. Okay. There's no type of water or soap that's ever going to be able to cleanse anything. It's not about what you do on the outside. It's about what happens on the inside. That's where salvation takes place. And again, that's not an argument against getting baptized. It's just <laughs> explaining that it's not necessary for salvation. And that's what uh, Caleb was just discussing there um, as far as um, uh, in the book of Romans and circumcision. <clears throat> So yeah, so Acts and Galatians then would be the other places that we have arguments sort of made against circumcision, which I would say um, would certainly be more so of an of an argument against circumcision than the passage in Romans where it's talking about circumcision of the heart. Uh, people have, have the argument saying, what's uh -huh. that? Do you have one of those you want to bring up? Yeah, so Galatians chapter 5, um, I'll just read this passage here. And and it's important to keep in mind that you... and. Patrick just mentioned this. There was um, there was this issue where you had Jesus, who was a Jew. Jesus mm -hmm. was circumcised on the eighth day as a Jewish boy. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus never said anything against obeying the commandments of the Old Testament. It was the law of the land at the time, and Jesus did it. He obeyed it. It was never a controversy when Jesus was here. What became a controversy was when um, these Jewish men that became Christians um, which they weren't really called Christians at the time, but these young believers that were Jews were encountering people that were non-Jews and they were trying to force them to conform to every Jewish custom. And, and some people were believing that that was necessary for salvation. So the argument here was, is it necessary for salvation for someone to be circumcised? And clearly the argument can be made. And I think any Christian could make it that absolutely circumcision is not, uh, part you don't uh, have well i would ask you this patrick have you yeah. ever while walking somebody through a sinner's prayer or before getting them baptized at your church did you ask them to go get circumcised first no <clears throat> no i haven't no of course not so, you know it has nothing it has nothing to do with it, it it's something so that we, represents something yeah so we obviously have a understanding of the fact that just because obedience to god in something like this is something that is um still commendable recommended it it would be better i would i think what paul's point here in galatians is is that it would be better for someone to never bring up circumcision or never be circumcised than to try to confuse circumcision with salvation so here we have in, in galatians chapter 5 verse 1 it says stand fast therefore in liberty wherewith christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage behold i paul say unto you that if ye be circumcised christ shall profit you nothing for if i testify Again, to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. 
So people that would think that this right here is an argument against circumcision have not read to the end of verse 2 where he says that uncircumcision also availeth nothing. So circumcision nor uncircumcision is going to profit you anything if you're trying to get saved. Don't try to get saved by getting circumcised is what Paul is saying here or by not being circumcised. Um, he was saying this shouldn't have gotten mixed in with the salvation mes message. Um, you can be a, a Gentile, you can be saved and go to heaven, whether you are circumcised or not. Um, I don't believe that Paul was advocating against people circumcising their children here at all. I don't well, think that is the argument being made. And you know what, Caleb, when you, when you go back to the portion of scripture uh, that talks about the Jerusalem council in Acts, I forget, I want to say it's like Acts chapter nine, but I, it's not coming to memory right now. You find out that really two questions were asked. The first question was, what do the Gentiles have to do in order to come to Christ? And th then you also have the second question, which is rarely talked about, which was brought up by the Jews. And that was, well, what is to happen to us? Okay, that's great that these Gentiles are coming in. Okay, but we're, we were Jews our whole life. What's to happen to us? And, and the answer that we find out is, is nothing. Okay, you, nothing changes. You are, no, you are not any less Jewish because you got saved. You are simply saved. And, and that is why still today, you know, the Jews circumcise their children. That, that is the, the reason that a lot of us do it is because God said to do it. Therefore, we know it must have been good. Okay, God never gives a command that's bad for anyone. God never tells the Jews, God never tells the Christians, God never tells the world, do this. Oh, by the way, it's terrible for you. The idea that there are arguments being brought up by doctors and theologians and, you know, whoever um, saying that circumcision is terrible for you, it's a ridiculous idea. It is completely contrary to the Bible. Because God said it, it is good. We already know that. So <clears throat> a lot of people do this, whether you want to make the argument that you have to or not, I don't care. We haven't even gotten into that idea. Okay, I, I do what God says because it's good for me. It doesn't matter when God said it. I don't care if God said it before or after he went to the cross. None of that matters. God said it, therefore it is good. Okay, so with that, <clears throat> Let me bring us to Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Here we read, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins by the flesh, uh, sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. See, here we have Jesus being compared to two different things. Okay, we have Jesus being compared to baptism and we have Jesus being compared to circumcision. And we see that these things are a picture of what was to come. It was showing us something that everybody could relate to. That was the whole idea of it. So that when it's brought up later that this circumcision is done by Christ and it takes place in your heart, Everyone's like, oh, I get it, just like we do with our sons. And he's like, yeah, okay, great. Good. You know, Paul's like, yeah, now you're getting it. Okay. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. 
blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Okay, so <clears throat> as I said before, it, here's another case where we see how it is it is used to teach everyone what is needed for salvation. And it's not the circumcision of the flesh, it's the circumcision of the heart. But it's a picture that everybody was able to understand because everybody was doing it. Okay, Caleb, yes or no, was Jesus circumcised? Absolutely. Why? How do you know that? Because, what's that? Well, how do you know well, that? Obviously, he would have been um, circumcised or he would have never been allowed into the temple as a, as a young Jewish boy. There you go. Um, he was raised in a Jewish family that went to the temple and was, uh, was observant Jews and they and would have never, the family law. would have never been allowed to observe Jewish feast days and then come in as, as Jewish people, if they hadn't been obeying the law. And what is that a picture of? That is a picture of no Christian will be allowed to enter into heaven without circumcision taking place in their heart. Right. Just like no Jew was going to be allowed to walk into that temple, that was a picture of none of us can stand in the presence of God with that sin in our heart. It has to be cut out and then thrown away. It has to be gone, gone forever. It's something that is dead, that is worthless, that that is an encumbrance that needs to be uh, 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 done away with. <clears throat> okay, so, so you had mentioned the Jerusalem yeah. Council, and I just thought I would um, bring this up because I started to make this point earlier, and I think this is um, probably something that's extremely important for us to realize because a lot of churches have gone off the rails like they were starting to do here in the early church, mm -hmm. where they start mixing um, the salvation coming through Jesus plus mm -hmm. a little bit more. And yep. it's a very, very dangerous gospel, and, and it was a big enough dispute that it had to be settled and they came together and they, and they disputed and disputed and disputed. And um, fortunately God helped them through this time and it didn't divide the church, but it was, um, there were people that were trying to say that salvation came through circumcision. So if you go to Acts chapter 15, this is what prompted the Jerusalem council and certain men, which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised circumcised after the man manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other men should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through uh, Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversations of the Gentiles, the conversion of the Gentiles, sorry, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come up to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect, the Pharisees, which believed, saying this, that, this, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And he put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God 
to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers were able nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus, we shall be saved, even as they. That's, and that's, all of the that's most good. kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And blah, blah, blah. I guess I'll stop there. So this is what James, uh, Jesus' brother, ended up speaking up after that. And... Um, no, that's a good spot. Really, right there. At, yeah, I'll, just, I'll stop there because they went on yeah. to discuss other things as far as um, legalities that they were concerned about. But yeah. This was what brought it up. The dispute was over circumcision. And, and it was not was because of what happened in, in verse one, where certain men said, um, unless you be circumcised after the man of the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. That right. was not the gospel. Yep. That was problematic. And, and it had nothing to do with whether circumcision was good or bad. It had nothing to do with whether right. you should or shouldn't. It had to do with, was it necessary for salvation? And obviously the answer is no. Okay, the, the, the answer to salvation is Jesus, period. It's not Jesus and. Okay, it's Jesus, period. That's it. Okay, it's it's the work Jesus did, not the work we do. So, <clears throat> so here again, you know, it, it shows us very clearly that people were getting it mixed up, you know, for the wrong idea. And and you got to remember, okay, the Jews lived this lifestyle for so many thousands of years, and they flourished as a people and were successful and were surrounded by paganism and pagan cultures and pagan countries and pagan people that would look at the Jews in awe and wonder at how well the Jews were doing and how were they able to be this successful? Well, it's because they were obeying the law of God and they were doing things differently than the pagans were doing. So for the Jews, they were like, well, all these new Christians, shouldn't they, you know, jump on board here and become Jewish and start doing all these things? And they're like, no, 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 that's not how we get saved. And it says that in verse 9 and in verse 11 about what you just talked about. But the reason the Jews were pushing it is because this is the thing that set them apart from the pagans that made them special in God's eyes for so long. So again, you know, I, I say to everybody, the reason that I do anything in the Bible is because God said it, and therefore it is good, and it is good for me to do. God never gives us a commandment and is like, oh, by the way, a little later on in the New Testament, this is going to be bad for you. So just don't, you know, don't listen to me. Uh, after Jesus dies on the cross, everything I said, you know, beforehand, it's nonsense. Just forget about it. That's not what, that that's not the way it works. Caleb, do you know how many Christians today are polytheistic? It is insane, the yeah. number of every Christian that says, well, that was in the Old Testament. I don't have to do it. They are polytheistic. And you say, that's a little hard. Well, yeah, it is a little hard, but I'm driving home a point. They believe that the God Jesus and God the Father are two different gods. They're not. We are monotheistic. That was the same God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the same God. The Old Testament God, the New Testament God, same God. Okay, God that died on the cross, God that he was talking to, same God. Okay, therefore, we got to stop this idea that anything that we find in the Old Testament was automatically bad and we don't have to believe it and we don't have to obey it and, we don't, and, and it would be better for us if we just ignored it. That's not the case. When God tells me not to do something, 
It's because that thing is bad and I should stay away from it because it's going to be better for me. And when God tells me to do something, it's because that thing is good and it's going to be good for me and good for my kids, no matter who I am, where I live, what time, what country, what language I speak. It doesn't matter. It's good for me. And that's the reason that I circumcised my sons is because the Bible said to. So that's enough for me. I don't need to go any further. Everyone else can you know, be cursed by God however they want. I really don't care. So in your in your opinion, if you were counseling with, with someone um, mm-hmm. as a new Christian, it would would it ever come up that you would ever recommend to somebody to get circumcised no. as an adult? Nope. Exactly. Would you I would see I would see no reason no different than the apostles did and saying, okay, now that you're a Christian, you need to get circumcised. You weren't circumcised on the eighth day. Um, you're not getting saved through circumcision. Why bother now? Mm-hmm. It, it, you're, that's kind of your mark of the fact that you were born as a pagan, in mm-hmm. my opinion. You're born, you're born as a Gentile. You're, um, it, that you're going to bear that mark. Um, and there's no spiritual significance to it as far as being, like Paul says, to be circumcised or uncircumcised gains you nothing. Um, there is obviously benefits to being circumcised. Uh, contrary to, to some cra- crazy um, proponents of uncircumcision now, that um, are which, by the way, are are are, are not men usually. <laughs> there you go. Most of these are going to be um, women. And and one one thing that I should mention here is God never said to circumcise women. It was only men. Obviously, yeah, there's no so such the thing. argument. Uh, the argument against circumcision and obeying God, because Muslims and some other um, cultures do female mutil, you know, genital mutilization, does not mean that we say, well, because they're not doing, they're they're disobeying God and they're they're doing things that God didn't say to do with, to girls. Now we shouldn't do what God said to the boys. Um, there is not much similarity between the two. It's two, two totally different things. God said to do to circumcise males. He didn't say why. He just said do it, and that's why we do it. Um, it there, there was never anything said about circumcision for females, and the fact that there is people that do uh, female genital mutilation is, I think, appalling. Um, so uh, the. The idea that the idea that we have people that are are might make sense but as christians this should not make this shouldn't we shouldn't buy into this argument it's an argument to make us disobey god based off of a straw man argument we're saying you shouldn't obey god because there's other people that are disobeying god so you should disobey god too it's, it's the most ridiculous argument and there's christians that are making this argument um and there's plenty of people that are easy that are going to easily follow along with this narrative because it looks great and let's face it circumcision isn't probably the most fun thing for a guy for a mom or a dad to have to face because it's not it's not probably a pleasant operation i've never done it i don't remember it being done to me 
Um, but I would say if you want to get just some raw advice on it from a non-scriptural, non-Christian perspective, go on Reddit or some forum like this where you're going to have guys that are discussing the pros and cons of circumcision. And you'll have guys that are uncircumcised that are telling all their horror stories about not being able to take a shower for a week because of how much pain they were in from infections and problems that they were having and how much that they wish that they had been circumcised. And on and on and on, you'll go through the list, no different than Daniel um, getting on here and saying that, that he wishes that he would have been circumcised as a baby. Um, clearly, um, if you if you look at the practical side of it, it, it is practical. God knew what he was doing. Um, and so it shouldn't be a, a situation where we ask questions. My my mother's stepdad, which I always called him my grandfather, he was in her life more than her real dad was, and he was circumcised when he joined the military. Now, it used to be um, for a long time that, that it was it was pretty much mandatory. Um, I'm not sure, it's depending on the where where you enlisted when you joined the, the military, it was either just mandatory that everyone was circumcised if they were uncircumcised or that when they did the medical examination on you when you joined the military, that if you had ever had any issues, they would ask you questions. If you'd ever had any issues um, that would be helpful to have circumcision for, they would ask you the questions. And if you answered, it was just mandatory circumcision in order to join the armed services. Uh, this went on through World War One, World War Two, uh, clear up most of the way through Vietnam War. It's now less of a practice, but it was pretty much... Um, it was pretty much a mandatory, uh, a mandatory thing that if you joined the military, you were circumcised. That was um, pretty much common practice. Um, some of the, some of as far as we've kind of vaguely brushed over this, but there are. It's difficult to clean clean yourself if you're uncircumcised. I mean, that's this is not just some um, Bible thumping uh, scripture. Uh, something that we, some tale that we spun from reading our Bibles. This is common knowledge. You can look up Google instructions for how to clean yourself if you're uncircumcised, and you look and see that it's a lot more complicated than those that are circumcised. Those were the pictures so, that I was going to bring up for this discussion, and Caleb said no. Okay, so just so you guys know what you're missing. Okay, I had a lot of photos. <laughs> he told me he was going to find he's going to find a, a picture and I told him to be careful I didn't say no he sent me one picture and I said lol fine <laughs> anyways um so this was this was and um is still by by many uh medical experts considered to be best medical practice it's it's considered to be cleaner um so then of course we have people that are advocating to save, they're considering this as child abuse. How can you do this to your child before they consent? Because they're still a child and they didn't consent to this. And so you are abusing them and your sons are going to have psychological issues and mental scars and whatever from the pain and, and whatever the arguments that they make against it, to me still um, hold no water when I open my Bible and I read the Bible as a Christian saying, I want to obey God. And God said, do this to your to your sons as an everlasting covenant, not a not a mostly lasting covenant. It was an everlasting covenant. It's what God said to do. And so for me, I don't I've never seen it as as a um, debatable issue. It was just something that was common sense. Um, of course, I came from a uh, background where a lot of my friends were more um, literal. They, they took the Bible literal. 
face value, most of them would have looked at it the same way. I just, um, I never, like like Patrick, I wouldn't have given it more than four seconds of thought. It was like, all right, no different than baptism. I, before yeah. I got baptized, I never looked or looked up the pros and cons of baptism and does it leave you long-term medical issues and scars. Mm-hmm. And it, it had nothing to do Hydrophobia. with Hydrophobia. You're going to have a fear of water the exactly. rest of your life. Yep. I never... I never looked into those pros and cons. It wasn't, it, I didn't do it because I thought it was going to have health benefits or not have health benefits. I did it because God said to do it. And so this is what we do in order to walk in obedience to God, much like many other things. I also didn't do it to get saved. I did it because I wanted to obey God. And because he had freely given me salvation, I, I and I would look at circumcision and, and, and many other things we do as walking in obedience to, to God, that it is, would be better not to walk in obedience to God in those issues if you confuse it with salvation. If you're going to get to the point where you say, I am going to do this so that I can get to heaven, then it would be better that you were uncircumcised. It would be better that you were unbaptized. It would be better that you were, all the good things that God tells us to do are good as long as we understand them in the sense that our salvation still doesn't come through those good things that we do. Through walking in obedience to God, we're not earning our way to heaven. We get to heaven through Jesus and Jesus alone. Yeah, well put. You know, there are so many things that I would like to explain to people when I first are leading them to the Lord and introducing them to Jesus as their Savior. But the fact of the matter is, they're going to get a Bible from me. They're going to be told to read it. We're going to talk about it. And I'm hoping that God speaks to them and they start obeying God all over the place. You know, so I don't have to worry about, you know, talking to them about, you know, getting circumcised or drinking blood for that matter. You know, both one is commanded, one is forbidden. And, and it, I, really takes, it really takes the pressure off of you too. When you're on your way to their house. I never, I never asked you the other day. I won't, I won't mention his name. I've been praying for him. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned that you grabbed Taco Bell and we're going over to a, uh, the house of somebody the other day. Did, how did that end up going? Oh yeah. Yeah. It went really well. He was not ready to get saved. He had some reservations about Jesus being the Messiah. Uh, So I said, okay, well, that's fine. I don't want you, you know, um, uh, getting saved. If you don't believe Jesus is God, that doesn't really work. You know, Jesus has to be God in order to get saved. So I said, can I get to believe? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if Jesus isn't God, then sorry, there's no salvation does not exist. So I said, well, you know, the solution for that is reading the Bible. I said, so let me get you a Bible and I'll bring it by and you and I can start reading the Bible together. And, um, you know, and then uh, once we get through one of the gospels, you, you know, ask me any questions you have come up as we go through it. And anyway, the, the Bible I ordered them just came in the mail a couple of days ago and I haven't brought it over to him yet. So, um, I'm going to bring that to him and we're going to read through the Bible and then we're going to revisit it. So hopefully, you know, uh, he'll be getting saved real soon, but he was real receptive. He was real glad to talk, you know, and, you know, and I told him, you know, I, uh, you know, I said, I'm over here because I love you and I want you in heaven when you die. I want to spend eternity with you. And, uh, you know, and, uh, he was really grateful, you know, for that. So it, it went as well as it possibly could have without the two of us getting on our knees and praying together, you know, uh, for him to get saved. Um, yeah, that takes the pressure off of you. I mean, you, you mentioned you were, you grabbed Taco Bell and you headed over to his house yep. to talk to, to talk to him, lead to the Lord. And you probably would have not wanted to grab Taco Bell before you went to his house. If you were going to have to first circumcise him before you helped nope. lead him in prayer. 
Well, and you know what's funny is Jesus actually cleared it up. He said, look, when you get someone saved, he says, there is one thing you were to talk to them about after they get saved, and that is baptism, period. Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 28 in the last three verses. He says, get them saved, get them baptized, and then you're going to teach them the whole Bible, okay? And right. as you're teaching them the Bible, things are going to come up. Okay, and the Holy Spirit's going to convict them and they are going to start making changes in their life. The only thing I have to convince a new convert of after they get saved is that they need to get baptized. They need to follow the Lord and believers baptism. Why? Because that's what Jesus said. So um, Rebecca Hewitt here left us a couple of comments and I thought mm -hmm. this is a uh, we might as well go ahead and get into this for just a second because it could be hard to get into this. Um, uh, as far as in the comments here, it can be hard to go back and forth. So as far as the consequences for disobeying God, mm -hmm. um, we're not talking about eternal consequences yeah. for disobeying God. Yeah. We're talking and, about and just so you know, on So just so you know, uh, Rebecca and her husband, John, are friends of mine. So uh, we, okay. I know them really well. She's a sweetheart and she is saved. That's not, you know, th that's not an, an issue or even in her mind. She's just wondering if, you know, it is um, something to be concerned about. So, so let me, let me jump in on that first. Okay. So yeah, here's, sure. the, here's the thing. Everyone on earth is going to believe one of two things. People are either going to believe that disobeying God carries no consequences or disobeying God carries consequences. And personally, I don't see any way around the idea that disobeying God has consequences at any time, all the time, in any way. Okay. I see that throughout the entire Bible. So for me, um, you know, there are things that I learn about that I see in the Bible and I'm like, man, you know, I, I want to, uh, I want to have that. I want to have that in my life now, really the, the, okay. So think, think of this. Okay. So if someone is going to be, let's say, um, let's say somebody is going to decide they are going to drink alcohol. They're going to be fine with being drunk. Okay. However much they do that, you know, is another discussion but they, they don't care to try to stay away from drunkenness. Okay, where you're going to have consequences in two forms. Okay, number one, you're going to have uh, uh, natural consequences. Well, when you get drunk, guess what? You're going to jump in the sack and get some girl pregnant. You are going to get behind the wheel of a car and get a DUI or maybe kill yourself or somebody else. Okay. So these are all natural consequences. These are the things that would not happen if we did not get drunk. Does that make sense, Caleb? You agree with that? Right. Okay. So then you have the second idea, and this is the one that Christians don't ever like talking about, and these are supernatural consequences. So the idea that God wants us to stay away from drunkenness, and I, you know, and I think that everyone would agree with that. Um, if not, go back and listen to our talk on alcohol. So God wants us to stay away from that. And when we refuse to do that, okay, then we have to suffer some form and I use the word curse and I use the word curse because the Bible uses that word. So we are going to have blessings and cursings. That's what the Bible says. So I believe that anytime I'm disobedient uh, to God's law, I am going to have a curse on my life. 
I do the same thing as a parent. The Bible talks about how spanking your children and physical discipline, it is part of training your child and it is an important part so they understand okay, that they need to change their actions because it is good for them. And the Bible itself says, God chasteneth who? Those he loves. He loves. That's who God chastens. Okay, so you got to remember when I'm dealing with the curse of God, it is for one reason and one reason only, because God loves me and God wants me to correct my behavior because it will be good for me. So there are lots of Christians that flat out disagree with the idea of a curse from God, even though the Bible says it a thousand times from cover to cover. Okay, and there are a lot of Christians that completely disagree with the idea that uh, there are supernatural consequences and those can be bad, i.e. the curse, okay, for disobeying God. Christians nowadays, all they want to think of is it's just love and blessing, love and blessing, love and blessing. Well, guess what? I love my kids and that's why I train them not to touch the hot stove or cross a busy street. And I do that Okay, with the rod of reproof. So I am of the persuasion, I'm the type of Christian that very much believes that there are natural consequences to disobeying God and there are supernatural ones. So, you know, again, that's the reason that I want to obey God all the time is because it's going to be good for me and I want heaps of blessings, not cursings. Caleb, let me hear your thought on that. Okay, so yes, this is a very, this is a very, um, interesting thing because obviously rebecca um i i have I've not met you i don't know you but i know this about you you grew up in church in america or you that was your education that led up to your um idea that um uh, she said we didn't circumcise our boys but it wasn't out of disobedience i've always just thought it was a jewish thing mm-hmm. that is what you've been taught in the pulpit by pastors that were sloppy on their homework and said, oh yeah, it's just circumcision is hard. That was an Old Testament thing. Now we're in the New Testament, you know. The church has done a really bad job of reconciling the fact that we are serving the same God in the Old Testament as we are in the New Testament. It's, God is not, God has not changed. He's still a God of justice. He's a God of wrath. He's a God of blessings and a God of curses. And a lot of the blessings that that our American pastors like to talk about, like love and joy and peace and, you know, all these easy topics to get on are supernatural blessings from God. They are supernatural things. There's things that only God can give us. And we enjoy these things when we walk in obedience to God. And so it's it's really interesting how it's gotten to this point in America where we have churches that preach the blessings. Oh, you don't have to do anything. It's it's a it's a it's a free ride to heaven. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to change anything. Come as you are. Um, it's the uh, rock and roll Jesus kind of church mindset here, where um, everything's hunky dory. You get saved. You come to church, and um, and now um, Jesus owes you all these blessings, and you owe him nothing. And that's not a biblical concept. That is a that is a very flawed message. So. We choose blessings and curses by walking in obedience to God or by not walking in obedience to God. That is that is how we choose to have God's supernatural blessing in our life. And so, yes, I agree with you, Patrick. There are natural consequences that are, um, you know, God's put laws in motion where there's going to be things that um, that sometimes we're, we're walking in disobedience to God. Um, 
there is practical reasons why walking in obedience to him is going to give us natural blessings or natural consequences that are are beneficial and then there's um, going to be curses in a, in the natural realm where we're going to have difficulties when we walk in disobedience to god no different than you mentioned about the drunkard he's going to face troubles he's going to have if you listen to songs about you know drinking songs um, they they spell it out quite well as far as all the sorrow that you have in your life when you choose that road so the idea is um if you obey god that he blesses you um now there is also a concept of walking in the light that you have so i would say a christian that has been taught that this is a jewish thing and um they're not intentionally walking in disobedience to god because of maybe a misconception about the Bible, what I would consider a fault, a fault, a faulty teaching. Um, I wouldn't say that God is necessarily going to curse you because of that or curse your sons because of that. Um, if it wasn't intentional disobedience, but you do have to realize that some of um, the curses that we're talking about, it's not like a malevolent God that's just raining down curses upon, upon our head. Some of these curses are, natural like we talked about it's in the natural realm there's going to be things that your sons are going to have to deal with in their lives that they wouldn't have had to deal with um if if you would have walked in obedience to god in in a better knowledge of scripture when you're when your sons were little um no different than daniel mentioned here earlier in the comments he said he had to get circumcised when he was seven years old and he wishes that all parents would do it when their children are eight days old like god says so that was a natural curse that he ended up with having to deal with because he wasn't circumcised when he was eight days old. He had to deal with a week of misery at seven. So I think that that deals with both the natural and the supernatural side of it. God gives us blessings when we walk in obedience um, that that are that come outside of the, the natural just uh, laws of, of um, re- reactions to diff- different things that happen. Yeah, and Caleb, um, we're we're jumping into this new topic, so I want to make two points on it, and I, I want to hear your opinion um, because these are uh, loose ideas of mine, kind of right off the cuff. So, okay, okay, one one idea is that okay. Uh, so number one, I don't see that God curses his children and reprimands them when they are struggling with a sin that they want to have victory over because every Christian in the world, when we find out in the Bible, when we're reading it, that doing this or doing that or saying this or thinking that or what have you is wrong. We want to stop. But with that being said, Caleb, you ever meet the new Christian that is just, now starting to try and not curse it's hysterical right because they let curses slip all the time because they've been doing it for so long and the way i see it is just like a just like a parent who's proud of their child who's trying to walk and is constantly falling down i see it the same way where they're like oh you know and they they curse again because they caught themselves cursing and they're upset you know, and, and they, they want to do right and they're trying to do right and they're messing up. And and for me, I, I think a lot of people are sometimes way harder on themselves than even God is because they do love God. They want to obey God and they are trying to change a behavior. And it's not as easy as just flipping a switch, you know, something to remember. Number two, right. we, we read about in the Bible 
the idea that Paul said that he was uh, completely ignorant of things when he was a child, okay? And then he grew up and all of a sudden he was uh, um, held accountable. And, and Paul even says, and I can't remember, it's in Romans where Paul says he was, um, he was free from sin for a time. And it was because he was a child and he was young enough and ignorant enough where God wasn't going to hold him accountable to the law of the Lord. And, and I, I see the same thing in the lives of Christians as far as we're, don't get me wrong, the law still applies. It's not like it didn't exist. Okay, but we're accountable to it when we learn it. Okay, it's like, oh man, I, I didn't realize that one, God, I'm sorry. And then God gets to see uh, what we're going to do. Okay, are we serious about it? Or are we going to write it off and say, ah, God probably doesn't care about that? You know, and I think that always pleases God when God sees one of his children learn of something that they're doing wrong and say, okay, God, I want to correct this. You know, tell me what I'm supposed to do. You know, what, where, where do I go from here? You know, so right. I just always, you know, caution everybody with that. It's like, okay, you know, Rebecca, here's what I'm going to tell you. Okay. You just heard this idea for the first time, right? The, that this argument that I'm making. So there are two things. Number one, I might be wrong. Okay. You're not required to do a single thing that Patrick Hayes says. So you go to the Bible, you do your own homework, and you figure out for yourself what you think God wants you to do. And then number two, you go to God in prayer and you talk to God and he promises Okay. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Look for that answer. Ask God for the answer. You will get it and you will have direction as far as where God wants you to go. But don't for a minute think that just because you heard something on this podcast that you need to change your life. What you need to do and hopefully what we've inspired you to do is to dig into the Bible, do your own homework, get to the bottom of it and figure out an answer for yourself because God is with you and he promises he's going to give you a good clear answer and you're going to be able to take a step towards him with confidence. So I think that's the best thing I can tell you to do. So uh, somebody apparently just tuned in and hasn't been watching for very long. Salmon or Salmon Caffeine. Oh boy. Yeah. He Have just, them rewind said, like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, I just commented and let, and let him know. Uh, he just said, well, well said, but isn't Jesus's sacrifice sufficient for us to enter heaven no matter how much we sin? Absolutely. Yes. Jesus is the reason that we needed Jesus is because we're a bunch of sinners and we yes. can't be good enough to enter heaven without the blood of Jesus. Yep. And neither Patrick nor I are promoting or advocating that somehow you need to add salvation, um, add to you know, salvation, add circumcision in with, with your salvation in order yep. to be more saved. Yeah. hundred percent. Nope. We are saved not by the works we have done, but by the works Jesus did on the cross 2000 years ago. And that's it. Good question. So, um, so obviously, yeah, rewind, rewind or, or go back and re-listen to the podcast if, uh, if you're just tuned in now and you'll, you'll, you'll hear a discussion on that about, I don't know, 20 minutes ago we were on that yeah. topic and we discussed it pretty clearly. Um, so this is a very interesting thing and I'm, I'm really glad that Rebecca had chimed in with this um, issue here because she made the decision that most American Christians are making right now and she made it in good faith and you made the right decision based off of what you knew, based off of the knowledge that you had and and your, um, your um, teaching. Hey, Mark, uh, good to have you on here. I see your comment. Um, so 
I think that you made the right decision based off of what you knew. Unfortunately, many Christians trust somebody else to tell them what the Bible says and how to uh, how to believe it. And this is this is one of those deals where your pastor stands in the pulpit and says, oh, you know, uh, the Old Testament, they did a lot of things back then. But now we have Jesus. You get saved. It's circumcision of the heart and everything's hunky dory. Don't don't listen to anybody that tells you anything different. I've um, I've. I've reviewed this myself and I've done the study on it and, and just trust me on this one. You know, Jesus just loves you. Come as you are. Don't mm-hmm. circumcise your babies. Don't and, change. And this is the kind of stuff that, that you got to open your Bible and you got to check your pastors on it. And some of them can read these same passages that we read tonight. And they'll tell you, oh, in Romans and in Galatians and in Acts, you know, all of the, the early church, they all argued against circumcision. They did not. Nope. Nowhere in the Bible. I mean, please find one scripture where in the New Testament that they argued against circumcision. They never did. But nowhere yeah. in the Bible does it say not to circumcise. Yeah. It says it's an everlasting covenant. And it says to do it. They argued against saying that salvation came through circumcision. That was the only argument that was ever made against it. It says um, anybody that, that takes these passages, like I said, here, I'll, I'll go back to this one in Romans again. Um, and it's... Uh, Oh, no, no, not in Romans. Where am I trying to go? Galatians, if I can find it here. Uh, Galatians, it says in the end of verse 2. So here is, the, the, this is the strongest argument in the Bible against circumcision. It says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, but be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And people are going to say, here he's saying, don't go back to the Old Testament teachings. That's not what he said. He just said, don't confuse Old Testament teachings with, um, with salvation. And, and he says, if you go on to verse two and oh, two through verse six, sorry, the end of verse six here, it says, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love. And he said, he had gone through here saying that um, if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I t- testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you who, who Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So this is the strongest argument made against circumcision is saying it's going to do you no good. It's not going to get you to heaven. You're not going to get saved through it. Um, And if you are trying to be saved through the law, then you are under the law. That's the point that he's making here is saying that if you want to become a debtor to do the whole law, then go ahead. By all means, try it. It's, you're still not going to be able to keep it. But he's saying that um, if, if, if you read the end of verse six there, it says that, that uncircumcision availeth nothing as well. So if, if, if the argument is being made to be uncircumcised, he also says that uncircumcision is, is of no avail. So I don't find it an argument against circumcision in the in the in the bible you'll find many people that believe that it is argued against but the argument was never made to say thou shalt not circumcise their children in fact it was said to do it as an everlasting covenant as as we walk in obedience to god um so all of that being said i'm very very clear on 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 where i stand on this i believe as a christian that um as i walk in obedience to god that it would be the right thing for me to do to circumcise my children however um the whole reason this topic came up between Patrick and I, as I told Patrick, I said, sometime we should do a podcast on this because I wanted to pick his brain on this. And here's where I'm at. So if Paul is saying um, that you shouldn't force somebody else to become circumcised in order for them to be saved, now keep in mind, 
my children, when they're born, they're, they're unsaved children. Um, I'm not, they are going to be converted some point later on in their life, make a commitment to God and choose to or not to follow him um, at some point later on in their life. That is, that's their choice. I'm not somehow by me walking in obedience to God, it doesn't necessarily change the eternal trajectory of my children and their belief in God or their, their disbelief in God. Um, my, my wife and I have had this discussion. There's two things that my wife has told me that she wishes that we would have dated before we got married. So she could have found out how I believe on two issues. One was Christmas and the other one is circumcision. And fortunately we've had three girls and, um, we're uh, now on our way to having our first boy. And so uh, she's let me know more recently that she's not as, it's not as, as much of a sore subject for her. It's something we still have to get to the bottom of it. But I started wondering, how do I look at this as a Christian? And I came to the point of realizing that if it were to be a, um, if my wife was to say, I don't want to circumcise our children, um, is this the, is this the, um, is this the cross? Is this the hill that I die on, so to speak? Is this a, is this the line in the sand that I draw and say I'm going to obey God no matter what, even if it causes somebody else to stumble? And so I I'm in this quandary of wondering, um, not not so much for myself because my my wife is more so um, on the fence with it. It's, it's she's kind of like like either here she could go either way with it. I believe she understands what, the concept of doing it out of. I'm sorry. What's that? She's uh, on the fence about Christmas. Either way. Oh no! <laughs> no Christmas. Uh, Christmas. We've. I think we've. We've made peace on Christmas. Oh, good. Um, we we don't have a nativity scene in our house. Um, I've made my. I've I've made my stand on that and said we're not going to have a nativity scene. We're not going to bow down and, and worship it. And there's some there's some things about Chris, Christmas that are still current pagan traditions that I just don't feel comfortable with. Um. But there's also some things about it that I feel like if Jesus can celebrate Hanukkah, which is a is a non-biblical holiday, that maybe if um, there's people around me that are celebrating Christmas without doing all the pagan traditions, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be an unChrist-like person and just throw a hissy fit every year at Christmas time and just be miserable. Um, so we don't really do it as much at Christmas as she would like. We do more at Christmas than I would like. But I guess that's some of the give and take in the marriage. And maybe maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should do it differently than we are, but I'm at peace with it. And I would be comfortable as a Christian um, knowing that I was probably doing the wrong thing by not circumcising my son um, out of consideration for my wife. Um, I'm not sure that I would recommend that stance to everyone. And that was one of the things I was going to ask you because mm-hmm. I think when God gave the... Um, when God gave the commandment to Abraham to go home and circumcise his sons, he didn't tell him to run it past his wife. He said, you're the man of the house, go do this and obey me. And so Abraham did this. I don't know if he ran it past his wife, if she knew. Um, and it was his job. This was, I believe it's my job to do this out of obedience to God, not my wife's job. God didn't ever command mothers to circumcise their children. He commanded fathers to circumcise their children. So what's and your so question I, for me? So my, well, my question for you is what would you, um, let's take this out of my situation because I think my sure. situation is easily, more easily resolved because my wife is Christian and she understands my take on, on scripture as, as a literal perspective rather than um, just looking at, um, you know, modern 
folklore and in, in Christianity and, and taking somebody else's advice on it. I read the Bible literally. The Bible says to do it, and I do it. And that's the way that we take many other things in our life. Um, and so I, I don't think that this is this is going to be the the end of the road. With this is going to be like Moses and his wife. Um, but what would you say to a couple that is in that situation where the husband believes that he should do something out of obedience to God, and the wife doesn't, mm-hmm. um, or vice versa, and Obviously, there's going to be repercussions for disobeying God or walking mm-hmm. in disobedience to God. But what about also um, the idea of where Paul says, you know, if I eat meat and it causes my brother to stumble, I won't eat meat. Mm-hmm. Do you think that would apply to something like this or what's your thought on that? Well, and the Bible talks about it because you have you have two cases. You have one where, let's say, the husband wants to obey God and the wife isn't for it. And then you have another one where the wife wants to obey God and the husband is not for it. And the when the wife wants to obey God and the husband is not for it, we read about it um, in the Bible. I uh, think it's in first and second Peter where it talks about that, you know, the wife's major tool that she has is prayer and she is supposed to talk to her husband about it. And in the end, um, when they disagree, she's supposed to say, look, uh, I love you. You know, I disagree with you. I think this is what God wants. And I think we're going to have consequences in our life because of it. Um, But I am going to, you know, submit to your authority as God wants me to. um, And I'm going to trust that you're going to do the right thing. And I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to know that, you know, there's no anger in my heart or animosity. And uh, she is to go to God. And uh, she is to watch God change her husband's heart. And I can tell you that the Bible, again, I'm, I know I'm not giving you scripture for this right now, which is not very helpful. Um, I can bring it up for next week if you want. But <clears throat> um, not only does the Bible say that, but my wife can give you a story after story after story, practically speaking, where, you know, when she wants to change my mind, all she has to do is go to God in prayer and it happens and it happens every single time, you know, and the times that it doesn't happen, she's come back to me and she's like, you know what? I think you're right. I think we should do it the way you're talking about it. That's the way God wants it done. Uh, in the other case, when you know the husband wants to obey God and the wife really isn't for it, it's the same thing. The husband should consult the wife and talk to her, and he should, uh, you know, uh, say, "Sweetie, can I take the Bible and and show you what I'm thinking? I want you to be comfortable with this, but I want you to see where I'm coming from. You know that we're trying to obey the Bible. I'm not just making something up." And he should make his case and they should talk. And and in the end, he says, look, I, I know we disagree and I don't like disagreeing with you. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, God has chosen me to be the leader of this family. You know, so I have to make a decision. And I believe this is what's right for God. And, you know, I would like it if you and I could pray about it together, you know, and uh, and see if we can have some comfort brought to us. But at the end of the day. I have to make the decision because I'm going to be the one that stands before and God you, and explains my actions. Would you wear your Would you wear your jerks for Jesus t-shirt while you had that conversation? <laughs> uh, you know, so so that's the way. I do like the fact that you follow up. I felt that I do like the fact that you follow that up with "Let's pray about it." Well, together. yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you know, 
telling you. Yeah, you want to have a conversation. Your wife should be included in it. But the fact of the matter is God says that the man is in charge and God is going to hold the man accountable, which is why it is so much. It is 10 times more important that the man reads his Bible and prays over it and studies the Bible and knows what the Bible says than the wife, because God calls the man to be the leader and to lead the wife. You know, God uh, uh, set the man up as the protector of the wife. He's the one that has to be in charge for the benefit of the family. So it's important that the man understand the Bible. And at the end of the day, my what I'm telling you, Caleb, my wife and I have had these disagreements. And sometimes I've had to make decisions for my wife's benefit that she did not like, um, you know, and we went through exactly what I'm talking about. And at the end of it, you know, weeks later or months later, she came to me and said, hey, I, you know, I appreciate that, you know, because, you know, I, I was too busy and I was getting stressed out and I shouldn't have been doing that. And I'm glad you told me, you know, no, we, we were even part of a um, we were part of a church for a while that was really pushy and, and just trying to get you to do more and more and more and, and constantly, you know, serve God through the church and give up more hours of your week. And I finally uh, told my wife, I said, hey, here's the easy way around it. When someone asks you to do something at church, just tell them I got to check with my husband first. I said, you never have to say no again. You know, from now on, it's uh, you can have me be the bad guy. It doesn't you know, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You know, but I'm going to make a decision that's best for my wife and for my family, you know, not for, you know, the convenience of of, uh, somebody else. Uh, I don't know if that was helpful, but I certainly talked for a while. Hey, we're approaching two hours. We yeah. got to shut. It's been an hour and 45 minutes. And I know that a whole bunch of new people are on. They're asking questions, you know, uh, and right. Mr. Kasim, I would just ask that you would please come back next Friday. Keep bringing your questions. We will get to more of them. Um, but uh, sorry, Caleb, I'm falling asleep. We <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> I no, got to get up to go to work early tomorrow. So let's we got to wrap this thing up. So you had you'd mentioned a couple of verses that I, I just thought I would uh, bring up because he said maybe you'd bring the verses next week. But yeah, um, in First Corinthians seven fourteen says, "For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy." Um, this is um, interesting. The fact that our children are sanctified through our obedience to God, um, and then First Corinthians seven, and let's go to verse fourteen. Uh, sorry, no, that's the same one. Got another one pulled up here. First uh, Peter three. Um, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if ye, if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see you respectful of your conduct, do not let your adorning be external. Blah blah blah. It goes on to this. So um, it is showing that. Um, even though your husband might be unbelieving that by your walking in a biblical um, submission to him that you will win him over to God. Um, it is very interesting to me this. I just thought I would just before we wrap up on this, there is this kind of cool thing that we have in scripture where there's this idea where, where there's a discussion between a husband and wife and it comes down to um playing rock, paper, scissors, or tossing, flipping a coin. Um, there's kind of a biblical order for how this these problems get solved. And that is, if it's neither here nor there, and the couple can't, can't um, agree on it, 
it is actually God's pattern for the husband to take the lead and for the wife to follow. And that is the way in plenty of other organizations now where um, if you and your boss disagree, the boss tends, his word tends to get the say. Um, if, if you are visiting with a cop and you disagree with the cop, unfortunately, you um, are going to have to concede to the cop because he is a person in authority. And God's the one that put this there. It wasn't me or Patrick. And obviously this isn't the popular approach, but this is actually a handy little tool that God gave us as a way to make it such that we're not deadlocked in a decision where we can't agree on something and we have no idea what what to do because we can't agree. Um, God has set an order and it just so happens to be that the responsibility falls on the man, which um, is actually... um, Somebody's making fun of your typo. I know. Go ahead. Um, it's actually an added responsibility on our place, on our plate. That sometimes I, I, I wish that I would just say, "Okay, honey, fine, let's do it the way you you want to do it." Sometimes I do that. Um, and, and my wife, I don't, I don't call the shots on everything by any means. But when it comes to bigger decisions, I do believe that I have the responsibility, and I'm the one that's going to stand before God and answer to Him when. He asked me, why is it that you choose, chose not to obey me in this, in this way? And I say, well, the woman you gave me, it's the same cheap shot that Adam decided to try to take when God said, why did you disobey me? Adam blamed it on his wife. And so for me to walk in disobedience to God on a, on a clear biblical issue because uh, of my wife's misunderstanding of, the, of a biblical concept, to me is me passing the buck between me and God and, and throwing my wife under the bus, really. It's me throwing her, throwing the blame on my wife when I am the one that really um, holds the responsibility of it. Um, that being said, I have come to the conclusion that I would be willing to, uh, this is something I would be willing to negotiate, even though I see it as a black and white issue. I also realize I'm not a Jew. To Rebecca's earlier point, um, we are Gentiles. And I don't think that it is... Um, necessary for my sons to be circumcised in order to go to heaven. I would like to circumcise my sons because God tells me to do it. And I think it's an act of obedience to me. And I think I would be doing them a favor um, by walking in obedience to God. And they wouldn't have to deal with this later. I'm glad I was circumcised on the eighth day. I've never regretted it ever once, even though I've read through. And, and believe me, I've spent weeks, weeks reading online, all the all the naysayers telling you of all the, all the, the pleasure that you're missing out on as a man by being circumcised and all of the um, possible um, problems that could happen with it. And, and maybe there's circumcisions that aren't being done properly. Um, maybe there's people that have defects because there's doctors that don't know what they're doing. Uh, maybe there's, uh, there's, there could be all kinds of cons to the, to it. And I still have never once looked at my parents and been like, man, I really wish you guys would have left this choice up to me and I could have dealt with it later. I'm very thankful that they walked in obedience to God on this and, and did it on the eighth day, like the Bible said. And I believe that that is, that is and would be God's plan for us as Christians would be to walk in obedience to God on things that are in the Old Testament where it says to do it forever as an everlasting covenant between us and God, um, unless it has to do with temple or priest-type uh, duties that would have been done away with by Jesus. I do still believe that these are things that we should be doing um, as Christians. That's that's my, and I think I, I see that as actually a pretty black and white issue. Forever means forever. That's off topic, Patrick. I'm very happy for you. Bitcoin is at 32. <laughs> All right. And with that, everybody, thank you for joining us. Please come back next Sunday evening as we talk about.
something else. We haven't decided what we're talking about. Cursing. Yet. I think we should t- tackle cursing next. All right. You I'm brought fine. it up tonight. You talked about blessings and cursings. And I think it'd be good to get this out of the way sooner rather than later because we've already been reprimanded by people on here for saying some for saying what somebody considered a Christian cuss word or something. Oh, so not like good. blessings and cursings. You're you mean like cursing like foul yeah. language. I think we should talk about cursing and and address the difference between cursing and cussing, like a real curse and and actually somebody that's cursed, you know, saying a bad word. Um, and and discuss. I think it would be a great discussion to have. So yeah, all right. I would I would say mark it down. Next week we'll be talking about bad language, Christian body mouth, bad language. filthy language. Okay, have a good week, everybody. We'll catch you uh, next Sunday. Thank you for joining us. Please get on Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Please download and share those podcasts and help get our message out. That's it. Have a happy good New week. Year. Bye bye. Thank you, Patrick.